Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. This morning in 2 Corinthians. So do open your Bible, follow with me. And uh, God having something I believe to say to us as he has always in all of scripture. And really a, a great passage I believe this morning. Trusting it's going to be a blessing, a blessing to you. So Second Corinthians chapter 1 did introduce the book to you last week. And continuing today from verse 3 of chapter 1 down to verse 7. So Paul writing, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Let's just pray together. Lord, your word is precious to us. And also your Holy Spirit, who is in us as believers and among us as your body, the church. And so as we turn to this passage today, Lord, we do come as those who are are frail, people who struggle in this world with many difficulties and afflictions. But Lord, thank you for that which you have done, that which you continue to do. And that we could even anticipate this morning that you will do among us, we pray. And so, acknowledging our need, praying, Lord, for your ongoing ministry to us, enabling me, I pray, as I seek to preach your word, Lord, to speak simply and clearly and accurately for the sake of your name and your kingdom. Amen. Oh, just some perhaps personal uh, illustration as I seek to introduce the passage to you today, but I think some of you will know of a similar disturbing feeling, something our family felt a few years ago. Having arrived home to find thieves had entered our house. Any of you had that? Them having forced the access gate, steel gate that I thought was like Fort Knox, they got through it. Having smashed four locks on two front doors, and then inside the house also broken down our front our bedroom door. And then looking around the house to discover that our TV was gone, my laptop was gone, and I'd left my hard drive in my bag. And so my Photographs from many, many years gone, saved on my external hard drive. I think worst of all for us that particular day was Carol had two jewelry boxes 
And in those jewelry boxes were her granny's pearls, gone. Also, her granny had given her a gold locket with a photograph of her granny in it, gone. It was unpleasant. A few days later, there was some consolation to hear back from our insurance company that everything will be replaced to some degree. I think we all know that story. Well, no further incident happened for a few years until December, last December, uh, traveling down to Peter Maritzburg to visit my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter down there. Two blocks from my son's house, it was raining. I took a wrong turn. Immediately realized the wrong turn because everybody in the car was shouting at me. I took a wrong turn. And, and I put the car into reverse and reversed into the car behind me. You know that feeling? Just that sinking feeling. But again, fortunately, there was some comfort for me to get my car back from the panel beaters. As good as new. Financed by my insurance company. Six weeks ago... I got a call from my daughter in Cape Town, speaking through her sobs. Daddy, I've had an accident. This is Shelley. You can guess that I'm relieved, was relieved, glad that I have insurance. And then horror of horrors. Four weeks after that incident, I get another call, the same daughter, also in Cape Town, another accident. This time the car is written off. Now she doesn't get a car. By this time, I'm trying to illustrate something over here. By this time, all these previous accidents and incidents, one after another, I am ecstatic. I have insurance. Isn't that so? Experience, negative experience after negative experience. I'm so glad I have insurance to address the latest vehicle catastrophe in my family. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying here that my jubilance is ascribed to the fact that in the midst of my loss, big loss, severe loss, in the midst of damage to property that belongs to me, to my family, a harm that we have felt, I have an insurance company that actually does what they say they will do. It's a great comfort to know that the payout in the main is equal to the loss. So if I were to summarize my introduction, it's simply this. It's a blessing to know that my insurance company has got me covered. And I'm not getting any commission this morning. All right? <laughs> no commission. But having said that, I want to turn to this passage in 2 Corinthians now. And the opening verses, Paul is also ecstatic. I don't know if you noticed that as we, we read this passage. This, this man is celebrating. The opening word is blessing, blessing. He's ecstatic, not because he has short-term insurance. He's bursting out in praise. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because why? He is a man who has faced in the past, in the present, he has faced severe, repeated, brutal affliction. He knows something about God. Something about God that you and I as believers ought never to forget. It's the title of my message today, 
God has got your back. Paul knew that. We need to know that as we look at this particular passage today. Let me try and get into the detail of the passage, and you'll see here that, well, you won't know this, but let me tell you this. The first 19 synagogue benedictions, so these Jewish people had a liturgy. They had a way of gathering together and saying things and following a certain uh, procedure, order of service. Well, the first 19 of those benedictions began like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God of gods, uh, the God of our fathers, uh, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So what, what's Paul doing? Now remember, Paul is a Jew. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul takes those benedictions and he summarizes and he identifies here the God of our fathers as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He is affirming in no uncertain terms that the God of the patriarchs, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Now that has an implication and, and the, the, the truth that we need to receive here this morning. There is one God. Jews understood that. Paul and the New Testament apostles understood that. But he is the God who sent his beloved son to be the savior. We know that verse in John 3:16 so well. There's one true God and he is the God who reveals himself in and through his son. Something important that we need to remind each other of. How do you know God? Little children asking mommy and daddy, what is God like? God is like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. We, t- we see this in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, explicitly said long ago at many times, and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So Paul is going on to remind these Corinthians that there is something about the nature of this one true God that he knows objectively by revelation. Now that's a, it's a, it's, it's a mouthful, but we, we've got to understand that God, God has revealed to them, God has revealed to us objectively truth. You can read about that truth in the Bible. It's objective. You can read it. Somebody else can read it. A previous generation can read it. A future generation can know this truth objectively uh, about God as a result of revelation. God speaking. But I want to focus this morning. Also, Jesus makes known to us, and Paul has come to know subjectively, experientially, In other words, not just in the head, but in the daily life, in the heart. He's come to know in the midst of hardship and suffering and difficulty, something about the nature of God. Have a look at that third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to start on that first phrase. The Father of mercies. That's the uh, next point. The Father of mercies. If you were to just search on Google, perhaps even if you have a Bible program on the mercies or mercy of God, 
<laughs> there's so many references. There's so many. I've picked out a couple. But, but there is the objective revelation right back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. God's mercy is revealed. God's mercy is on display for all to see after Adam and Eve sinned. They should have been destroyed there and then. God had said, if you, if you sin, you shall surely die. So God showed them mercy. And, and so we see something of the character, something of the nature of God. And the unfolding of the Exodus uh, passages we've already been looking at recently. Uh, God's mercy is revealed in his design of the tabernacle. We know so well the description and the provision of a mercy seat tells us something about the nature of God. Uh, King David, just I picked on him because he's well known. King David has come to know and shares the truth of the mercy of God. And I quote a verse from 2 Samuel 24 verse 14. David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. I'm in great trouble. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great but let me not fall into the hand of man. He understood something of the revelation of the greatness of the mercy of God. God being the father of mercies. A well-known passage. A passage we often, I'm going to refer to this passage in the communion service. Not to forget the declaration by Jeremiah in Lamentations. Chapter 3 verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And then we go to the New Testament and we find exactly the same revelation there in action, uh, uh, not only objectively but subjectively revealed. Uh, Jesus moving amongst the needy crowds in the Gospels, incident after incident, there are appeals to Jesus for mercy. Summed up later on in James chapter 5, verse 11. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is merciful and compassionate. So, folk, this morning I want to impress upon your minds very clearly the truth that God is the Father of mercies. There is no greater one merciful, no greater mercy shown by anyone, anywhere, at any place other than God. This is the God we serve, the God that we know. But it's not only that that Paul tells us as we move on in the verse. He's the father of mercies and, it's a beautiful phrase, the God of all comfort. It's the God of all comfort. This perfect, compassionate father, God, he knows and understands everything that comes to us. Everything that you and I experience, he knows. He knows what we need. He knows the afflictions that confront us. The first thing I do when I study a passage is I look for repeated words. The word comfort is repeated ten times in this little section of the, passage, of the Bible. Is God not saying something to us? 
He's saying something. He wants us to know something about this God of all comfort, this, this God that will provide comfort we need in the midst of our affliction. Ten references to comfort. Uh, and I don't like to, to, to quote Greek words, but sometimes they are useful. The word for comfort over here is paraklesis. I'm sure that rings a bell for many of you. Uh, parallel, parallel line. Uh, kaleo is the word called alongside. Uh, so comfort is when there's, there's something that comes alongside of you, and we know it's someone that comes alongside of us, and I'll speak just now about the Holy Spirit. And the idea of this comfort in this passage is to strengthen much. Because we know in affliction, we feel weak, we feel debilitated, and, and feel like we want to give up. And so this word is, is, has the sense of to encourage, to stand by another. To encourage him as he endures, or she endures, testing and hardship. So Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand that the merciful Father is the giver the author of all possible comfort, all possible consolation. There's a lesson here, and sometimes it's necessary to speak. Sometimes we think it's just younger people, but perhaps older people. There is no enduring comfort apart from God. And I'll give you some examples, because sometimes people pursue what they think are other options to find consolation or comfort. And I want to tell you this morning, there is no enduring comfort from becoming bitter. Turning your back on God with resentment. You will go down a spiral, a spiral of darkness and hardness, and cynicism, and, and, and hardship that, that is just a, 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 it's a journey to destruction. There's no consolation, and I know myself how easy it is, and I have fallen into this, in feeling self-pity. Isn't that so? Why me? Why me? I've asked that question many times in my life, especially recently. In the recent months, it, it doesn't bring consolation. It, it takes you further down this dark hole. Then there's some other, I suppose, physical or uh, temporal ways that people try and find comfort. They resort to drowning sorrows in alcohol or escaping reality using drugs. Sometimes in the context of the church, and we joke about this, but it's not right. Consoling yourself with obsessive eating doesn't work. Rather, that's the message this morning. To receive enduring comfort is to see and believe. And I'm going to give you a, a number of ways that, that, that we find this comfort, that we receive this comfort. That this enduring comfort, you've got to see it, you've got to believe it. That is Jesus we can approach at the throne of grace. And that is that scripture that tells us. Now remember, we're not only speaking objective truth. We're speaking experiential subject that you may receive, that we may receive mercy from the God of mercy, Father of mercies, and find grace to help us when? In our time of need. Not to forget the comforter. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit, and I'll use the Greek word again because it's important. Now it's not paraklesis, it's parakletos. 
the Holy Spirit, the one who's called alongside of us, the one sent by the Father to, 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 to not only inaugurate and, and build the church, but to be in the believers of the church, in the body, and doing his work. Jesus says in John chapter 16, uh, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper. Do you remember that there's a helper? He will come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. And then there's so much of what God has said that has been preserved in the Bible. We have all of this, Old Testament, New Testament revelation. And man, if you think your insurance aid, uh, a company is great and they keep their word, sometimes they don't. God does. God does. God keeps his word. You can be sure that God does what he says. And again, quoting a scripture, Isaiah 41, fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God speaking to his people. And then another aspect I've learned a lot about in my own life and also recent days, the people of God in the body of Christ, active in ministry one to the other. I call it the one another ministry. Is, and I've used this phrase often. I read in a book many years ago, that we can be the parable of Jesus to each other. Isn't that true? Somebody just coming alongside. They don't even have to say anything. Just be interested. Just show concern. But we can demonstrate this ministry by encouraging, giving notes, showing hospitality, loving one another, being kind to one another, praying for one another. Philippians chapter 1 verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I want to elaborate in case there's a wrong impression here this morning. Being strengthened, being encouraged, being helped, being comforted does not necessarily remove the hardship must be very clear on that. It does not make you immune to the pain. My heart still aches for my wife. I'm telling you. Aches. But you know what? God has comforted me. Giving me hope for her in death. Giving me strength day by day. God is with me. There's help. Did you see? So the pain, the, the reality of the situation doesn't evaporate. No. But, but in the midst of it, in the midst of it, there is the help from God. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. And, and so uh, I don't only speak theoretically today, practically. You can know, you can know for certain that God has your back. That's the message I want to deliver you this morning. Leave you this morning knowing that God has your back. As we move on in the passage, I want to also show you, I want us to see that God does provide comfort, but he doesn't do so as an end in itself. And it's my second point. God provided comfort. God provided comfort should not be wasted. So I found this prayer. Uh, John Wesley wrote this prayer. He prayed, Lord, uh, Lord, let me not live, live 
to be useless. When last did you pray that prayer? Lord, let me live not to be useless. It's a prayer we should be praying because Paul shows us in the passage that being comforted has value for others. Your suffering can benefit someone else. I think let that sink in. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, there's the purpose clause, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. So there are times, Paul is saying here, there are times that we can be of great help to other people, to each other, someone else, because the point is we have walked the road of suffering that they now may be walking. It can be for the same particular hardship, and I'm going to try and illustrate that in a minute, but not only that that particular hardship. Now, what, what do I mean is this. Any lady among us today who has had a miscarriage is difficult. That lady will know the value of someone's comfort who knows from their own painful experience the comfort they received from God. Isn't that true? And that's just one example. Same can be said about someone who's lost a child or a parent or a spouse. But the point that Paul is making, even though this comfort we receive in the midst of our difficulty is able to help somebody with the same or similar kind of uh, struggle, it, it, it's not exclusive to that. Because you have learned something about God, because you've experienced something from God, and, and you're going to see this in the next point, you're able, therefore, to provide comfort to others. And the reason for that is, the reason is, my next point, your suffering, and we hate this, your suffering is a means of equipping. I don't want to suffer. I'm tired of suffering. But the truth of the matter is, if we hope to be equipped in ministry, we're going to go through them all. We're going to go through hardship. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now I need to be clear here, we, we can never, we do never share in the redemptive sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered uh, in our place, he alone could do the atoning work for salvation. But, but what, what we need to see here, and I found this other uh, interpret or, or translation of this verse. Let me read it to you. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comforting overflows. There's the sense of, of overflow surplus. You will taste as a believer something of the suffering that Jesus suffered. As one who was rejected, there are going to be times because of your faith you are going to be marginalized by other people. There are going to be times where you have to walk a road of humiliation or, or ridicule or be falsely accused. That's going to happen if you're a follower of Jesus, and I'll, I'll quote Jesus in a minute, uh, physical beating, grief, denial, betrayal, because Jesus reminded his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so there will be an overflow of suffering, but always with the prospect, prospect and experience of an overflow of comfort. So I try to uh, cast my mind just 
where do we see Jesus comforted? The passage that immediately came to my mind was, uh, remember the temptation of Jesus in the desert by Satan? Severe, severe testing and difficulty and hardship. And, and what are we told at the end of that passage? When he was tempted by the devil, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so expect the overflow of comfort also through Jesus being united to him in this mysterious union of being part of the body of Christ. Well, back in our passage, Paul uh, tries to demonstrate here now how his suffering uh, will not be wasted, but has equipped him to be a comfort to the Corinthians in their distress. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Do you, do you see what he's saying? I'm going through this hardship, but there's going to be a benefit because I've been equipped. It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. And so the point he's making is that the hard things we go through are not wasted. They need not be wasted. The comforts we receive in the midst of that, the graces we receive, authenticate and empower ministry, meaningful ministry. It helps us to accept the dark providences of God as not being for nothing but for equipping us for the benefit of others, for the sake of the body, for the glory of God's name, then they too will be able to endure the same kind of suffering. And then just a, a, a last point here over here. I saw in this passage that your suffering prompts confidence. Now remember what we saw last week in the context of this letter. These Corinthians had not been nice people. They really had been quite horrible to Paul. And, and I've just jotted down here some of the things, despite their disappointing history, despite their shameful questioning of Paul's apostleship, they, they, didn't, they were suspicious of him, their infatuation with other super apostles who were not apostles, and, and even their rejection of Paul's authority. Despite all of this, Paul has a confidence. He has an unshakable confidence. And he says so in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. And why does he say that? Because he knows something about the, sal the, sa the saving work of God. Having been there at the start, remember Acts chapter 18 and the planting of the church, and he was there for 18 months, the conversion of people, women and, and, and men, and I'm sure younger people and children. He knows the church there is comprised of genuine believers, saved sinners, united to Christ, and the theme of the series, they are a work in progress. In a previous letter, uh, he had written, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called. You see, when God calls, he finishes what he starts. You were called into the fellowship of his son. He knows, man, Paul knows the road to heaven, and we know the road to heaven is bumpy. It has many bends. In, in our South African context, we could say it has many potholes. It has many sinkholes. But the point is, the believer will get there. And Paul is confident of that, the true believer. So suffering in believers doesn't mean that people are just going to abandon their faith. Elsewhere, Philippians, he wrote, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. And I want to conclude in a couple of points I want to make. 
I don't think there's anybody yet today, I think everybody understands, if you are not a client of Outsurance or Old Mutual or whoever, Discovery Insure, in the event of an accident or any kind of incident, you're not covered. Isn't that true? You can stand on your head. My dad used to say, sing hallelujah. And they will not budge. And so, folk, we need to see, and that's why I use this illustration, in a much more serious sense, the same can be said if you're an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, God does not have your back. Doesn't have your back. God does not look out for you. Remaining in unbelief leaves you outside of the scope of the redemptive benefits secured by Jesus on the cross. The work that is symbolized by this table remains a challenge to you to believe it and to receive it. No benefits. To be part of the body of Christ, there must be a repentance of sin. There needs to be a trusting of Jesus as the Savior, your Savior, believing that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I needed to say that because I would hate an unbeliever to leave here this morning thinking all is well. God does not have the back of an unbeliever. However, believers, I want to encourage you, most of you I would think this morning, you can be sure the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of comfort, has got your back. Isn't that, he won't leave you. He will strengthen you. He will uphold you. He will carry you through to the very end. He will pull you along the way. Sometimes even when you don't want to be pulled along the way. And with that, I want to close an illustration, another illustration. So one of the hardest and yet one of the greatest things, and let me call it the road race I ever participated in and finished, was the Comrades Marathon. Now, only runners, I think, will understand this. 87 kilometers on your feet from Durban to Peter Maritzburg in my 50s. However, my son ran with me. He's much younger than I am. He's fitter than I am. He stayed with me. Fields Hill, Cowies Hill, Inchanga, Poly Shorts. Sometimes he would pull me by the arm and say, come on, Dad, come on. We can do this together. We can do this. I wanted to give up. I want to get in the Baylor's, Baylor's bus, they call it. Constantly, and, and I'm not exaggerating now, constantly taking my arm, constantly speaking to me, telling me that we can do this together. And I'd say to him, Josh, you, you go ahead. You can finish this thing in, in nine. No, I'm staying with you. We're going to finish this thing together. Making sure, drinking enough water, giving me energy gels. My body was in agony. The pain was there. But because of my helper, I got to the end. And I want to tell you something, and this is only runner will know this. Running into a stadium after 87 kilometers of suffering, the emotion that you feel is something unbelievable. An experience I've seldom ever repeated. 
And, and, and so my point is this. It will be infinitely more thrilling, infinitely more God-glorifying to finish the race of life, having had the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, having you back, having your back, and getting you all the way there. And Lord, thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have indeed, Lord, sent your Spirit. You have given us the gift of your Word. Lord, your Spirit dwelling within us. You have given us the beautiful gift of a local church. We thank you for this local church, for individual people that you have gathered here, Lord, that you have drawn together to serve and to encourage, to spur one another on. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not be blind or oblivious to all the provision from the hand of the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And I, I do want to pray today, Lord, the, we, we are people who struggle. Life is so difficult, Lord. Sometimes the road is not smooth. Won't you encourage one and another, many, even yet today, as they leave this place later today, through this week, may they know, Lord, subjectively the object of truth that you've revealed to us in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.